0: Don't go away. There's much more coming on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. Chapter 2. School's Out. I was in my third week of my sophomore year at CVU when the university suddenly closed down and sent people home. This wasn't a shock because very few of the professors even showed up for the start of classes, and a lot of the usual local shops and stores were closed down. Center Valley was basically a ghost town. It was like school had closed, but someone forgot to tell the students. Some of my friends and other folks in the dorm stuck around campus. Most students left after the first week because their classes had no teachers, or students, or unlocked classrooms. Others, I guess, thought it would all blow over, and they could stay drunk until it did. The commissary remained open, and kids with student loan money or trust funds or whatever were able to eat. The local shop and rob had been stocked for a full campus, so... There was no shortage of deodorant, cheese doodles, beer, pot, porn, or whatever a healthy college student needs to get through days of doing absolutely nothing. At the same time, a lot of kids freaked out and started a lot of drama trying to get home, mostly freshmen whose parents sent them out by bus or dropped them off. Some were part of a carpool that didn't exist or left without them. There was a weird lack of concern about loved ones that, I think, or I hope, was just well concealed. Isolation begets ignorance, even in higher learning. Center Valley is in the middle of nowhere. You come here to get away from somewhere else, and to get back, you gotta travel a lot of back roads through a lot of hillbilly territory to even find a highway. I guess if the freshmen there felt like I did the first time I cruised into campus, I'd freak out too. Without cell service or solid wireless, it was like roughing it. When the commissary caught fire and there was nobody left to try and put it out, I thought it was a good time to load up and boogie on down the road. The first ten miles of double yellow lines were easy, but once I hit the main four-lane heading south... Traffic just got worse every mile. Eventually, my car was stuck in a snarl of traffic just south of the Interstate 80 exchange. I spent two hours idling my engine and watching nervously as people started pulling their cars and trucks onto the shoulder median, get out and wander on down the road. Some folks didn't bother getting off the road. They just shut off their engines, gathered as much stuff as they could carry, and led their family or friends or whatever off in one direction or another. See, if you know how weird things are out there, you'd understand why walking outside by myself wasn't my first choice. I held on to this silly idea that the road would clear up and I could get on down to Route 79 South and shoot on down to Elwood City where I had family waiting for me. But that wasn't happening. After a while, it was just me and a few other scared, tired faces peering around for signs our wait was worth it. But as the afternoon wore on, things changed. It occurred to me that I might want to unplug my music player and turn on the radio. I punched the scan button and let it run up the frequency range, finding nothing but faint signals clogged with noise. On the AM band, however, it picked up something I wish I'd heard before I set out. The emergency alert system was live, giving instructions where to go for shelter. Major cities like Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Erie, Lancaster, and the state capital of Harrisburg were being evacuated to facilitate military action against the walking dead. I had never heard anyone speak openly or officially about the monsters before, and I didn't want confirmation while I was alone on the road in the middle of nowhere. Nobody I knew had ever seen a necroambulate or whatever they were called. The television wasn't allowed to show them. Sure, they were on YouTube and online, but the government was pretty good about blocking IPs and debunking what it called hoaxes. It was something about human dignity and honoring the dead. We weren't all that curious to see it up close. If you really wanted to see it, you could find it, but the majority of us were more worried about looters and rioters, thugs and rapists, than flesh eaters. That was until we started seeing the dead walk. It was toward late afternoon and about half an hour since I'd moved an inch. My car was in park and turned off. The slight chill in the air was enough for me to keep my windows up and the sheer weirdness of the day made me keep the doors locked. I kept an eye on the road ahead for any sign of movement and noticed a group of men with rifles winding up between the vehicles, peeking into windows, opening doors, and poking through things left behind. Mounted troopers lined both sides of the road, keeping pace with the men on foot. There were maybe ten men heading up the road, and that's when I started getting scared. These men were checking cars doing a little looting when they found something left behind they liked and when the uniformed troopers on horseback weren't looking. And, most unnerving, they were wrestling people out of their rides. When they found someone, the uniformed Stadies in their flat-brimmed hats brought their horses through the tangle of cars and spoke to them. They spoke to them calm and firm. Then the local boys would drag them off south and out of sight. Before I could duck down out of sight, one of the Stadies pointed me out. All of a sudden, there's this big redneck jackass pointing a shotgun at me through my windshield, telling me to get out of my car. Given that he didn't have a uniform, and his credentials were cheesy aviator sunglasses, a tin star, and a shotgun, I was understandably reluctant, It wasn't like I was going anywhere. I had no desire to leave my car behind and go out walking the hillbilly highway alone unless I had to. And Bubba Cop wasn't convincing me he was a good alternative. After answering the same question three times with a pointed no... Bubba Cop busted out the driver window with a shotgun, popped the lock, threw his rifle into a sling over his shoulder, and proceeded to drag me out of the car. He really didn't care what parts of me he had to grab to to keep a grip, because I put up a fight. I landed a few blows with my feet before he got me by my hair and just pulled. When he got me out, he took me by the throat and slammed me against the side of my car, That took some of the fight out of me, but made me angry enough to kick him in his belly button. He didn't think kindly on that and gave my neck a proper squeeze. He grabbed the wrist that wasn't clawing at the hand around my neck and got so close I could smell his swamp ass and the beef jerky on his breath. Then, as I thought I was going to pass out, he backed off and I dropped to the asphalt. From the ground, a cop on horseback seemed like God from on high. I couldn't make out his expression or even much of his face. I just remembered the hat, the rifle held up like a knight's lance, the worn shine of his boots and the dried blood matting the coat of his horse and its shoes. He said, I am Trooper Dale Hodkins, Pennsylvania State Police. "'You are in a mandatory evacuation zone "'and will be relocated pending the outcome of this emergency. "'Please collect only essential items you have in your vehicle "'and accompany Deputy Reber to our mobile processing station.'" I remember that's exactly what he said and how he said it. So mechanical and so clear. I imagine he'd been saying it all day to everyone he met— Everyone like me too stupid to realize this wasn't just a traffic jam. I was wondering what they had seen on their way up the highway when Trooper Hodkins added one last point. At this time, Deputy Bubba Cop will conduct a preliminary superficial examination to ensure you are not infected. Bubba Cop pulled me back to my feet, spun me around, and ordered me to put my hands on the top of my car. The police horse huffed and grumbled impatiently behind me as other deputies walked by. The trooper asked me my name. I had to repeat it three times because the first two times I tried to answer, Bubba Cop put his hands somewhere on me. He asked me other questions, and I guess the trooper was writing it all down because Bubba Cop gave up and just repeated my answers louder. I spelled some things out for them, and I know he recorded the wrong spelling, but my mind was occupied with the terror of being completely out of control. This asshole was far too enthusiastic about wrenching my arms to see if I had bites or sores, any sign I'd been infected. He checked my neck and shoulders, then my legs and feet. Fortunately, I had on a short-ish skirt so he could see that nothing had been gnawing on them. I have a feeling that if Trooper Hodkins hadn't been there, the exam would have been more thorough and I would have had to kick the bridge of his nose up into his brain. When he was done, he turned me back around to face the trooper and told me to stand still. He took a picture of me with a cell phone camera, punched a couple of buttons, and then flashed me his yellowed culture dish of a smile. Trooper Hodkins turned his horse north again, and they started off. Bubba Cobb kept smiling. He had one of those deep, ridiculous, pencil redneck accents. Now that we got you all documented, let's take a walk. He looked at me like I was the kind of girl he'd flash dollar bills at while they were working at the pole down at the roadhouse. He added, "'Ain't gonna cuff you,' You want to run off now ain't my problem. His two-way radio crackled with static, and it scared the crap out of me. Someone on the other end mentioned that they needed to wrap things up for the night and that there were hostels spotted in the woods somewhere nearby. Shortly after that... Gunfire started off in the distance, and the deputies I saw heading further up the highway were coming back quickly, some with people who looked just as confused and scared as me. It was getting later and cooler by the moment. I brought my nightbag with me and, for some stupid reason, made sure my car was locked up. I turned to see Bubba Cop already heading south, and it was pretty clear he didn't care if I followed or not. At his pace, we caught up with some of the other folks I recognized from the traffic snarl. The air was oppressive and thick. The road smelled like burning plastic and oil, and it burned a little as I took it into my throat and nose. After a while, I felt like I couldn't catch my breath. I pulled my jacket out of my backpack and, instead of putting it on, held it up to my face. None of this seemed to bug Deputy Bubba Cop. He just kept moving past burned-out cars, piles of abandoned clothes and junk, around debris and twisted metal. I was so tired and sickened by the air that I didn't spend a lot of time taking in the scenery. I just tried to keep from cutting open my legs or tripping on things. I don't know how long or how far we walked, but... I remember the sound of gunfire in the distance, infrequent at first and random from any direction in the woods and hills around us. We passed cars turned on their sides or rolled down the embankment, camping gear on the median and shoulder. I imagine that some folks tried to keep the road clear earlier in the day. The further south we walked, the more people we encountered and the more trash we found along the road. Bubba Cop didn't have anything over his face. It was red, and his mouth hung open to catch the air. I don't think he ever kept up a pace like that in real life because he was puffing and swelling like a respirator balloon, sweat pouring down his back and staining his yellow shirt and ugly mustard color. It looked like someone turned on a faucet inside his cowboy hat. I imagine I was a wet mess myself. Being skinny isn't the same as being in shape, after all. We stepped between a small purple car and an old truck with one of those camper things in its bed. Bubba Cop had to stop a minute to figure a way through a narrow gap. It took him a second to decide to back up and go around the purple car to the left, instead of up the middle between it and the truck. That gave me time to close the 50 yards or whatever he'd built up between us. I didn't know where the hell we were going, so I didn't really want to lose sight of him. When he ducked left, I ducked left out of fear I'd lose him between the cars. As I did, I noticed the rear door of the camper open. I say noticed, but... I mean it barely registered under my desperate need to keep up with this gasping asshole in a stupid hat. By dodging left around an abandoned shopping cart, I completely lost sight of Bubba Cop. I came around to the left side of the purple car and considered climbing up on top of the car, maybe the truck, to see if I could catch sight of Bubba Cop or where he might be headed— I thought maybe I could ask the skinny man over by the truck if he knew what the hell was going on or where we were supposed to go. But the skinny man over by the truck wasn't going to answer me. His mouth was full, and his face and shoulder were black, but his right arm was pale white. A scorched gray t-shirt covered a distended blue-purple belly that hung down over his naked crotch. He wore jeans, but they were open and were low on his thighs, making it difficult for him it to shuffle forward. The blackened face was due to severe burns, like someone had pushed a torch into his face or he had fallen into a campfire. The skin had curled back in places, and the muscle glistened with a pus of melted fat. Its left eye was missing, probably boiled away by fire. With every movement of the thing's jaw, charred skin flaked off over his shirt and onto the road, sprinkling over the fresh, bloody string of entrails it had been feeding into its horrible mouth. Its only eye, lidless and bulging from its socket, seemed fixed on me. Within a second of realizing what the thing in front of me was, it realized what I was and began to move toward me, slowly as though the act of eating and walking were difficult to process at the same time. It pulled sausage links of intestines, still bulging with undigested contents, along from behind, and I realized that they led back into the bed of the truck. They pulled tight like a leash against a fence as he advanced." When the length of entrails caught on the closed camper door, the thing paused as if to make a decision. The hand and arm holding what it saw as food fell back while its free arm reached out toward me. It was ten feet away in the other lane, but with nothing between us. It started forward, the greasy red meat sliding through its fingers that slowly parted and curled toward me made no sound except for the slap-scrape of its footsteps. If it had not taken notice of me, if it had been content with its meal, I might have been able to tear the image from my mind and run off. It moved slowly, deliberately, but with pain and confusion, like it didn't have control of itself. But at that moment was a problem we shared. To my left, from the direction Bubba Cop disappeared, I spotted another shape heading my direction. Hoping it was my escort, I turned and called for help, but I found a second corpse standing at the front of a delivery truck parked on the far side of the purple car. This one was an older man in bloodied jeans and a biker vest. He was well over 200 pounds, even though he was missing most of both arms. Soon, there were more of them popping up from behind or in gaps between cars. They were all looking at me. If you can say the dead can do that. Like I wasn't supposed to be there. Like I was the intruder in the dirt. A journalist with a missing jaw and a camera still slung over his neck. An older woman with peroxide blonde hair, yoga pants, and a chest torn open from her throat to her sacral chakra. An older man in a powder blue tracksuit, his right cheek smashed into pulp and a crowbar hooked into his exposed rib cage. Two medics in bullet-punctured reflective jackets. A fast food worker still wearing her drive through headset. A four-year-old boy with no face, no teeth, just eyes on a pulpy glob of meat and bone. I hope that writing this down means I can start forgetting those images. i really like to. Those and the hundreds of other eaters and lifeless bodies along the road. They say panic enhances the memory, and as I stood there screaming into the jacket still pressed against my mouth, I took in every streak and smear of dried blood on their fingers, every bit of inside left hanging on the outside, and every grunt and gargle from deep inside their dead chest. (sighs) The hand that went over my mouth made me realize that I had been screaming, and as I realized this, I started moving. Another arm pulled me backwards. My throat felt raw, dry, and swollen, and my nails were deep into my palms. A voice behind me shouted, No guns! No guns! It's a herd! And all around me shapes leaped into view with swords and bats. I kept moving backward, and the voice continued to assure me I'd be okay, and I watched fast-moving shapes obscure my view of the corpses, flash metal and wooden implements of destruction, and go to work in the dying light. I turned to face the direction we were moving and got control of my legs. My escort kept pace with me and kept telling me gently but firmly, Move, move, thirty yards, bear right around that cargo van. Watch that pile of boxes. Just a little further down, keep going. Look for the sign to Liberty Road. I kept looking for Liberty Road. My heart and lunch couldn't keep up with my need to keep moving, and— I felt sick. A thick gray haze covered the road near the Liberty Road exit. The sign over the highway had big holes in it, and the cars were lined up across four lanes in a row of black twisted metal. It felt like a movie set, but smelled like someone roasted a pig inside a car. I was choking, drowning in the air and exhausted. I collapsed at the side of the road to die. Somehow, I fought on because I remember being awake inside a shelter surrounded by soldiers. No Tin Star deputies. No corpses. Just the red devils of the 82nd Airborne Division. Company C.